Uh, this is really weird for me because, long story short, I used to record all these episodes on my old computer, which decided to stop working about a week ago. Uh, guy who fixes computers in Kensington Market, dude, get back to me. The hell's going on with my computer, man? Uh, so I'm just kind of recording this now with no background, no, uh, no theme songs, nothing to really guide me. It's just kind of a, a free ball. So if things seem a little bit weird, <laughs> I think I say that every episode, don't I? I'm always, I'm always trying to make up for the fact that things might be weird that particular episode. But I'm learning that maybe every episode is going to be weird, you know? There's going to be something to it that just makes it unique in its own special way. So that's what's unique about this one. I don't really know what's going on. Anyway, welcome to PH5, episode 6. That's pretty crazy. Uh, it means that we're halfway through the year, which literally makes no sense. Uh, it also means that I've been recording these episodes now. Uh, six of them. <laughs> for six months. Um, been thinking a lot about the show format as it stands right now. Monthly. Makes sense for what I'm talking about, right? Monthly roundup of the records that I've been listening to in that particular month. But, I mean... Is once a month enough? I'm considering making this kind of a bi-weekly thing. With a standard Phil's 5 monthly recap episode. At the end of every month, as usual. But sprinkling in something midway through the month. Uh, where I'm not necessarily talking about the music of the year. Of this particular month. How many times can I fucking say month, do you think? Okay, I, I'm, can someone keep track? I'm going to aim for 40 by the end of the episode. Uh, so this kind of midway point episode would, would be me talking about maybe music that what I've been listening to has been reminding me of. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about that later when I get to actually talking about the records themselves, because that's happened quite a bit this month. Uh, just kind of like a, a short, maybe little nostalgic trip into the past to consider the music that we're listening to now. How did it get here? Um, let me know what you think. I mean, I've been asking you guys to let me know what you think uh, just about every episode. And I haven't heard back from anyone yet, but one of these times, someone is going to get back to me with their thoughts. And what a glorious day that'll be. I know it's just a matter of time. Anyway, how's everyone doing? Wow, it is It's currently a day which shall not be named here in Canada. Um, I got my second dose. That really fucked me up, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I was essentially bedridden for a day. I had to write an exam in the, in the middle of it, which is cool. Nailed it, by the way. Thanks for asking. 
And now I feel fine. And just knowing that I've done everything I can to do my part towards ending this pandemic, it feels great. You know, um, yeah, I also have gills and can breathe underwater, which is also pretty great. That's what happens when you mix the Moderna and Pfizer. You get gills. Um, so things things are going, you know, they're, 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 they're chugging along. And June was a pretty interesting month for music for me because in lieu of kind of your standard heavy records that I would traditionally be listening to, there wasn't really that many good heavier releases this month. So I found myself listening to a lot of other stuff. Um, a lot of rap and hip-hop, actually. Five, and, and, and arguably six, of the eight records that I'm going to talk about today are rap, hip-hop records. So it was fun to kind of dive back into that part of myself again and get reacquainted with my love for hip-hop because it really was a huge part of my life for so long. And it's nice to know that I still have the capacity to enjoy that type of music. And I really did. I, I listened to a lot of it this month, and I liked basically everything that I listened to. Except for something. I wonder what it'll be. Oh, we'll have to wait and find out, I guess, won't we? Anyway, folks. Thank you for listening to this long, drawn-out, tedious lead. Is it lead? The L-E-D-E word. Is it lead or led? Or lede? Whatever it is, I just did one, and now it's time to get into the actual content. So, this is Phil May thanking you once again for joining me on Phil's Five. I'm also gonna have to kind of cut and paste all of my old segues and, and the theme songs and all that kind of stuff from previous episodes because I don't have access to those audio files at this current moment. Uh, so if things are choppier than normal, uh, consider it an artistic choice. So, number five for the month is gonna go to Backwash. Is it back X wash? Back back squash. No, back squash is the name of uh, the gentleman's over 60 uh, squash club down on uh, Lakeshore. Um, Backwash, the album, I lie here buried with my dresses and my rings. Um, or it might be rings and dresses it's it's one of the two for sure so backwash is a trans artist from montreal she is originally from africa grew up in africa and moved to montreal when she was a teenager and steeped herself in the local scene in montreal and in 
pop culture and music culture in general in North America once she arrived here in Canada. And she transitioned a few years ago and has been making really nasty industrial rap under the name Backwash for a few years now. And last year she notably won the Polaris Prize for her album God Has Nothing To Do With This, Leave Him Out Of It, which was a stellar record and a wonderful introduction to the kind of harrowing, abrasive music that she makes. So Backwash is notable because it, it, it's it's rap for sure, uh, but it's it's just as much industrial, and the beats are all kind of cobbled together from samples of metal and noise. And she's had, uh, for example, members of Code Orange with production credits on the latest record. Uh, one of the songs is is a, a sample of a, a noise artist set. So. She's definitely a hip-hop artist, but with, let's say, the blood of metal running through her veins. And I'd say this is easily her most accomplished record so far. Um, the beats are just kind of terrifying to listen to. Uh, the whole experience is kind of like a, an exorcism of the countless demons that she appears to have hiding inside of her. Um, it can be a difficult listen at times, for sure. She's uh, very honest and direct about the struggles that she goes through as uh, a trans person of color and the ways that she copes with these struggles. There's lots of mention of drug abuse and suicidal ideation but the whole thing ultimately ends up being very hopeful because it's such a strong piece of work that she's put together here that there's a sense of triumph to it all that there is a light to the end of the tunnel and it's the ability to make this incredible astounding art based off of all the trauma that she's gone through and she's she's getting very popular and, and, and renowned in the underground music world because of it. It's a great record, not an easy one to listen to for sure, but oddly enough, like a really good like workout record. Again, it, it hits hard basically the whole way through. Um, my personal favorite song, uh, Terror Packets featuring um, another trans artist uh, censored dialogue is one of just the heaviest hitting rap songs of the year for sure and I can't wait to just be fucking screaming this one out at a show because we're going to be able to do those again soon oh man exciting stuff so number 5 for the week is going to be backwash I lie here buried with my rings and my dresses, or vice versa. It's one of the two. Doesn't matter. Check the album out. Sensational stuff.
All right, next up is... Yeah, it's... I mean, I guess you could consider Backwash as a quote-unquote heavy record. Um, but this record coming in at number four is probably the only real what most people would consider heavy music, metal, etc. entry of the week. Which is uh, kind of strange, isn't it? Especially to those of you who have been following along. You know I like my newly medley. Um, so, the album is called Replica of a Strange Love by a band called Wrist Meat Razor. All one word. So this is a big time throwback band, uh, but a throwback to a style which was popular in the early 2000s. Does anyone remember From Autumn to Ashes? Because I had basically almost forgot about this band until I started listening to this record. That's how much that this band reminds me of From Autumn to Ashes, or if you were a true fan, uh, Feta, as we called them. Trust me, when I was 14, I thought it was cool as hell calling this band Feta. Um, so it's a very distinct style of metalcore with, you know, these huge soaring choruses, a very, uh, choruses, choruses, uh, very emo subject matter about just like you know you don't love me and you know whatever um but it's so good and and they really pull it off and it's very very reminiscent of that whole early metalcore wave you know from autumn to ashes poison the well it dies today bands like that who were so popular amongst the teens of my generation but it doesn't. It also doesn't sound just like a, a cheesy kind of throwback band, like a nostalgia-based act, because they've written some great songs. Uh, the way that everything's been put together, production-wise, is very crisp-sounding, very modern-sounding, and they don't just kind of stick with that one style of metalcore. There is. Elements of industrial, very Nine Inch Nails-esque songs kind of thrown into the mix as well. Uh, there's a almost kind of radio rock type song near the end of the album. Uh, the record was produced by one of the guys from Knocked Loose. Currently probably one of the most popular hardcore bands that are out right now. And you can see the similarities between the two because while the band does veer off into these melodic choruses from time to time and these kind of glitchy industrial kind of experiments in some of their songs, through and through it is definitely a hardcore record, but one with a ton of personality. Uh, just Google image search these guys, I mean, they look like a bunch of dorks. God love them. Um, and the music they make is just fantastic. And it'll really bring you back to what it was like to be in, in grade 9 and grade 10 in southern Ontario. And, and 
the ridiculous haircuts and the the tight jeans and the the black band t-shirts like it just brings you right back there and oh it, it it's just it's it's great i love it I, I i miss that era so much um as much as i pretended to despise it at the time and not be a part of it it's certainly very formative for who i've become now and it's a record that i can listen to and not feel embarrassed by it also has what i'm considering to possibly be my favorite song of the year in the first song which is called our distress entwined uh oh the chorus is just whoo it's good fucking shit so coming in at number four that's wrist meat razor with what is it called <laughs> Here we go again. Replica of a strange love. Great. Good save, Phil. Sorrowy. Okay. <clears throat> Number three. So, number three is The Life of Pablo 5. Whoa, whoa, that's wrong. Uh, number three is The Life of Pierre 5 by Pierre Bourne. So, Pierre Bourne, for those of you who don't know, kind of came up hot through producing for Playboy Cardi. Um, Notably on his debut album slash mixtape slash whatever the hell it was. Um, he produced most of that record, including Magnolia, which is still to this day Playboy's most popular song. And Pierce's production turned a lot of heads because of how incredibly unique and catchy it was. So... Pierre is easily one of the best producers that are out now because his style is so distinctive. You know exactly what you're listening to when you hear it. You know it's a Pierre Bourne beat right away. Um, and not just because of the, Yo, Pierre, you want to come out here? Uh, tagline that he uses every time. Um, that certainly helps, though. That's for sure. So... The beats that he makes are, they're like, how do I even put this? I've seen the descriptor of like video game music thrown around a lot. And that, I mean, that's one way of putting it, but I think it kind of does a disservice to the music itself because that makes it sound like it's kind of dinky. Um, it's not, it's a, uh, I think what people are trying to say when they say it sounds like video game music is that uh pierre doesn't use a lot of samples it's a lot of uh just completely synthetic sounds that go into the beats um you know, synthesizers sub bass etc uh, but he has a knack for creating these incredibly compelling earworm loops that he just kind of builds around for the entire song and a lot of producers these days 
yeah, they, they don't really make beats as much as they make loops. Pass it on to rappers who just basically rap over a single loop. And there they go, call it a day. Um, Pierre kind of does the same thing, but he does it in a really interesting way. Because he knows how to build off of those loops and kind of explore different facets of them and explore the individual sounds within the loops over the course of an entire track. So, again, Pierre came up kind of producing for Playboy Cardi most notably and a few other artists started hopping on the Pierre Bourne train. But I remember back when that original Playboy Cardi album came out, uh, Pierre, in this one interview with Pitchfork, was very insistent that he was more than just a producer. He was also a rapper and a full-blown artist who was able to rap and, and sing on his own beats and whatnot. And having only heard kind of his feature on the Playboy Cardi album and, and a few kind of one-off songs, I was not convinced at all. I mean, in this interview, this guy was calling himself the next Kanye, which at the time was pretty laughable. I mean, the beats were great, but the rapping was just, it was not good. Um, fast forward to the Life of Pier 5, so the fifth installment of his Life of Pier series, which are records completely produced by him. Um, I think he might kind of be onto something. Uh, I mean, obviously his development is going to be a lot slower paced than Kanye's, who basically right out the gate with his first solo album was turning heads and making a name for himself as a rapper in the hip-hop world. Um, T-Lop 5 is Pierre's second major label full-length after T-Lop 4, and I, I, I don't suspect it'll be as turning as many heads as, say, Calls Dropout or Late Registration did, but he's really come into his own as a voice, as more than just a producer, but someone who can actually rap and actually come up with really strong melodies on top of these amazing beats that he's created. Uh, he's made quite the collection of some pretty great songs on this record. And the one thing that is really special about all of the T-Lob series records is, again, Pierre is a producer first and foremost, and he's, he's almost like an auteur with his beats. He's very, very special, and uh, he has a great ear for transitions. So one of the most fun parts about this album, about any of the Life of Pierre albums, is how he transitions from song to song. So the whole thing kind of plays out nonstop, and it almost plays as like a DJ mix of this collection of songs rather than an album collection of songs that kind of, you know, here's your song and then stop. Okay, and then here's the next song. It's kind of like, here's a song and then here's a cool like instrumental transition 
between the two songs that seamlessly glides into the next one and it's like that through the whole album and it creates this really compelling immersive experience Pierre is uh, he's, he's got a long way to go still in terms of subject matter I'd say uh, again most of what he's rhyming and singing about is still pretty juvenile stuff um, the guy raps about like Spongebob a few times and it's like okay man like we get it uh, but he's come into his own as a rapper quite a bit you know he's he's got He's got some, he's got some bars, you know, his flow has come a long way. But what really stands out and what makes this record special is the songwriting and the melodies. He's, uh, he's just created some really solid songs that kind of stick with you in your head for a long time after you hear them. And again, I want to put this record at number three because I, it's certainly not my favorite hip-hop album of the year. It's certainly not probably going to be in my top five of the year. But in terms of music that has brought me the most joy and I've had the most fun with this month, it would be this album all the way. So coming in at number three, we've got Pierre Bourne with The Life of Pierre Five. Okay. These are dimensions. These are dimensions. Beautiful. So, uh, this is going to be kind of awkward, and I'll probably piss people off with this one. But, you know, I, I like courting controversy. What can I say? Um,. As always, we're going to start off with the dishonorable mention this week, month, year, lifetime. And the dishonorable mention is an album that, if I'm being honest with you, I didn't even listen to the whole thing of. I, I barely listened to any of it. Uh, <laughs> so sorry for whatever blow to my integrity that causes but let, let, let me explain myself a little bit first okay while also building up the intrigue in you the listener's mind as you try to figure out which album it is so I used to love this guy back in when he emerged in 2010 I was obsessed, you know, I, I was all in, I was going to start a cult about this guy, I was like, like, putting upside down crosses and blood on my bedroom wall kind of shit, like, I was all in on the aesthetic that this guy brought to the table, uh, and then he released an album, and it was really bad. And uh, so I kind of cooled off a bit. Then he released another one. 
And it was okay. Still kind of bad. And then another one. Which was really bad. And then another one and another one. And as time has gone on, I've come to realize that I only really like one of his songs at the end of the day. And that was the song that made him popular back in 2010. And ever since then, I've been trying to get back to that feeling that I had when I was a 20-year-old listening to this really, you know, crazy, cutting-edge, subversive stuff. It's really actually quite transgressive, but... I just haven't been able to. And on this record, I realized before I even put it on, before I even tried to listen to it, I was already over it. And even though this particular record was supposed to be a return back to, you know, those hard-hitting raps that kind of made him popular, I still just didn't care. And I put the album on, and I tried for like 10 minutes, and was like, I can't do it. I can't, I just can't do it. I just do not see what the appeal is. I just don't get it. Well, I get it, but it's really not for me. It's really not for me. Power to you if it is, but Tyler, the creator, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I respect the strides he's made as a musician, as a person, as a cultural icon. Good for you, man. Honestly, good for you. But there is something about his music, especially now, that just does not do it for me at all. If you can help me figure out what that is, please do, because I'd like to enjoy it, but I can't. Not right now. So the dishonorable mention for this episode goes to Tyler the Creator's Call Me If You Get Lost. I don't get it. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. The mention, all right? Again, for those of you who are uh, fascinatingly deciding to tune in on episode six, um, turn it off and start over right now, asshole. Um, but if you continue to listen because you're a stubborn prick, let me explain what The Mention is. The Mention is an album that I listened to that something about it I wanted to talk about doesn't necessarily mean I loved it doesn't necessarily mean I hated it but something about it just kind of resonated with me and I needed to bring it up so the mention for this month is BFB to Pac-Man's fat n-words need love too which there was a better way for me to say that but that's what it's called. So, uh, Pac-Man is from Flint, Michigan, and Michigan and Flint specifically in the past few years 
has really come into its own as its own kind of hip-hop hub with a very specific type of rap um, called Michigan rap that's very unique to Michigan and uh, the surrounding area of Flint and whatnot. Uh, it's a very distinct style that's kind of marked by um, flows that are just kind of off the beat and basically ending in a punchline more or less every single bar um, the beats are kind of sporadic and they, they can be just about anything um, it's a really unique style of rap that was kind of recently popularized by of all people Lil Yachty who more or less went on a sabbatical to Flint uh, about two years ago or so and became really involved in the the rap scene in Flint which really helped bring light to a lot of the rappers that are there today um, we've seen recent successes by some Detroit rappers like Sada Baby and 42 Doug um, and I imagine we'll see the Flint scene start to blow up in the mainstream more as time goes on but it is a little bit weirder and a little bit more out there uh, to take in anyway so BFB to Pac-Man is one of these Flint rappers uh, and he's almost like I don't want to say he's like a comedian rapper He's not, he's not like Lil Dicky or, or like Zach Fox or any of these things who's, you know, like makes comedy rap. He makes rap that happens to be extremely funny. So the reason why I wanted to bring this album up for my mention was because I was listening to this album the other night for the first time and I do not remember the last time I've ever laughed so much listening to anything at all as when I listened to this record for the first time. Um, it's, uh, I, I'm not going to talk too much about the content because it's, it, it's quite shocking. It's extraordinarily vulgar. Uh, it's just questionable across the board, but God damn, if I wasn't losing my shit listening to this because it is so funny. It, uh, you um, Hopefully you have the same sense of humor as I do and you can listen to it and appreciate that these are just, these are just raps. And he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily mean everything that he's saying. If you can get past that and just kind of sit back and listen to the crazy shit that this guy says, well, you're in for an experience of a lifetime. Because, wow. I, I've never been so gobsmacked at anything as I've been listening to this album. So funny. Not only that, I mean, it, it, it's a good... It's actually a great full-length display of this Flint style of hip-hop that uh, I think is is really cool and 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 uh, 
cutting edge right now. It's a great example of that. It also has Wiz Khalifa on a verse doing his best impression of the Michigan style of rap, which has got to be just one of the funniest things I've heard all year. But not in the way the rest of the record is where I'm laughing with them. I'm laughing at Wiz on this one because he just sounds ridiculous. Anyway, the mention for this month, BFB to Pac-Man with Fat N-Words Need Love Too. They sure do. <clears throat> the honorable mention for this month. I just realized now all of my mentions are kind of, uh, kind of like hip hop based, which is nice. I'm. I'm so proud of myself for branching out again, you know? Wow. Good for me. So, the honorable mention for this month is going to Doja Cat with her latest record, Planet Her. So I'm sure you've heard of Doja Cat right now. Um, maybe because of her music. Maybe because of her ridiculous online antics, whatever it is, uh, she's certainly got a knack for getting people's attention. And up until this point, I think her kind of edgelord persona has overshadowed her music because her music just hasn't been that great. And she's mostly been a personality that has caught the public's eye through her personality rather than because she's actually making amazing music. Um, Say So was a pretty big hit last year because uh, of TikTok. And it's a great song too, don't get me wrong. But other than that, her music just hasn't really been that special. So I was pretty wary when this album was coming out. You know, like, this would be her third record now and this is kind of really her time to use it or lose it, you know? She's got the hype. She just really needed to deliver with a good collection of songs that can kind of seal her place as a part of the current pop star pantheon. And she more than delivers with this album. Um, this has got to be probably my favorite it's 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 like a we'll call it pop rap um but it's my favorite pop album of the year so far for sure um it's just all these songs are, are are awesome um she's really cool because she raps for sure but her biggest flow and cadence influence of all people would would have to be kendrick lamar uh, i'm sure she would even agree to that and it's really cool to see Kendrick Lamar, of all people, influencing a pop star's vocal delivery. Uh, she's a great rapper, and she's so full of character. Almost every line that she says has so much of her personality put into it, which just makes it compelling from start to finish. You know, she's not... 
She's not an autopilot like a lot of other pop stars these days. She doesn't seem to be overly concerned with, you know, making that perfect TikTok hit or anything like that. Uh, at this point, she just seems content to make really good music. Um, a lot of the album is really reminiscent of, say, late 2000s, early 2010s kind of stuff you'd hear on the radio. Uh, that kind of hybrid dancehall, rap, pop, R&B kind of stuff. Um, but again, just injected with a lot of modern sensibilities and so much of her character. Uh, I have been absolutely obsessed with uh, what's her, now her latest single called Need to Know. It is just a killer song. Uh, the first single she released, uh, Kiss Me More with SZA, another fantastic track. There's songs with Ariana Grande, The Weeknd, um, and they're all great. Um, Need to Know is a obvious standout, probably the best song, but there's a song where she does kind of like a, like a Charlie XCX kind of, uh, what are those, those, that weird band with those blonde people in it, 100 Gex, yes, there's like a 100 Gex-esque song featuring Young Thug, which is just genius idea, like, whoever thought of that, kudos to you, it makes a lot of sense when you hear it, and it's just a really refreshing pop record where every song is very unique and distinctive, and I saw her tweet yesterday or the day before, and she said something along the lines of, like, guys, I finally like my music. And you listen to this album, and you can see why. Because compared to her first two, she's fully come into her own. And I think now we can see that she is indeed a full-blown pop star with the songwriting to back her up. So, very happy for her, um, and I hope that finally her music can take over from all of the other bullshit that seems to surround her. So, honorable mention for the month, Doja Cat's Planet Her. These are the mentions. Alright, last two records of the month. Let's do this, alright? So, number two is Spelling with the Turning Wheel. Uh, kind of funny. Um, spelling with three L's, which is ironic because that's not the correct spelling, you know? It's like, like naming, uh, uh, I don't know why my only thing that's coming to my head is fire truck but with water in it somehow that doesn't make any sense I'm gonna leave that in and not cut it out just so you can see how stupid my mind is sometimes um, anyway so this is a record that I am absolutely baffled that no one is really talking about right now it has all the ingredients for a modern 
indie success. It has the narrative of this woman um, having made, you know, two kind of middling, so-so, okay albums before emerging with this just blows everything out of the water third record, which is the, the one I'm talking about, The Turning Wheel. Uh, it's on Sacred Bones Records, uh, a record label that is quite reputable in the uh, indie underground world. Um, the songs themselves are incredible. Like, I, I don't really understand why this isn't a bigger deal than it is, because this is a really special record. Um, so, she makes, currently anyway, she used to make this kind of weird tribal electronic kind of music that was 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 interesting but it lacked the songwriting chops to make you want to come back and revisit it all that's gone out the window for this one this is a full-blown songwriting display so she makes music that's kind of like a mix of kate bush and fka twigs um, the music is just so full-bodied. There's, it's, it's, it's maximalist in the way that I, I think every instrument on the face of the planet is used at some point on this record. Like, I'm, I'm actually blown away that all the different musicians and instruments and everything that we're hearing on this record managed to get on there because she's not that popular of an artist and Sacred Bones isn't that big of a label. Like, how did they pay for all these session musicians to come in and do it? But whatever they did, however they managed to pull it off, uh, I'm so glad they did because this record is so, so cool. Um... It's, it's kind of hard for me to describe because I admittedly don't have a great musical vocabulary for this type of music. I, 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 I'm aware of Kate Bush and the kind of music that she makes, but it's not something that I've listened to extensively. So all I can really say about this album is that spelling has, has taken what she does to a completely new level and at this point I don't know if anyone really is making music quite like this um, it is an absolute journey from start to end uh, it's got a few of my favorite songs of the year on it at this point and the more I listen to it the more I catch on to and the more I love it so Again, I, I wish I could say more about it, but this record is, is really something you just need to experience for yourself. If you like things that are kind of witchy, but like not necessarily dark, spooky in a fun way, I, I don't know, I again, I struggle to find the words to describe this properly. You just need to hear it for yourself. So that's number two, spelling with 
the turning wheel. Um, speaking, <coughs> speaking of artists and music that is difficult to describe, uh, the artist that takes my current number one position for the month of June has made basically an entire career about, of being an unclassifiable artist. So my number one position for this month's episode of PH5 goes to Dean Blunt with Black Metal 2. Uh, quick PH5 joke. Uh, geez, Phil, you just had to sneak some black metal in there somehow, didn't you? <laughs> uh, it, so this, isn't, this is not a black metal record. Um, it's a sequel to um, a record he released back in 2016, I believe it was, also called, obviously, Black Metal. But, again, that's just Dean Blunt kind of being Dean Blunt. Because it's not black metal at all. It's not metal at all. It's not... When he calls this black metal, I think it's almost... Well, for one, it's tongue-in-cheek. But it, 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 it's more like an actual image of a black piece of metal than it is a reference to that particular genre. So, Dean Blunt has been making some of the most strange, subversive music of just about anyone for over a decade now or so. And he's remained this very enigmatic, uh, cult-like figure in the UK music scene and, you know, to a lesser extent here in North America through his absolutely bizarre approaches to the press and promotion, um, his strange way of releasing music. Like, it's, it's, it's hard to even say what is and what isn't a Dean Blunt project because he's just releasing under so many pseudonyms and he's very mischievous in that he'll release songs as Dean Blunt but they're not actually Dean Blunt and he has nothing to do with them but then things that he does have involvement with he doesn't tell us and he's, he's just a very elusive figure he doesn't really do interviews and he's just kind of been this outlier on I'm going to say the electronic music scene for, again, at least a decade or so. The reason why I'm, I'm hesitant to say electronic music is because this is the absolute definition of a man who makes genreless music. You cannot classify whatever this is. And that doesn't mean that it's just noise or abrasion or anything like that though he 
will happily dip into those things from time to time. Um, it's just impossible to say, and, and he intentionally makes music that is difficult for you to pin down. And this is all part of his art, because Dean Blunt is a black man, and you you see this black man, and he's making this music, and there are beats, I guess you could call them, and he does kind of have a rap-like cadence at times, but this is not hip-hop at all. This is... This couldn't be further from it. But you could say that about just about every other genre touch point that you think of when you hear his music. Oh, that's a firework. I hope it is, because if it isn't, it's a gunshot. Um, so, on Black Metal 2, this particular record, Dean has made a lot of very difficult music in his time, but I would say confidently that this is his easiest listening project that he's ever put out. It's actually stunningly gorgeous most of the time. Um, the It has a relatively simple palette of sounds. There are strings, there are guitar, drums but you wouldn't call it rock okay like i'm i need i'm gonna just step away entirely from this whole genre discussion because again it's just so far from the point that it almost is the point does that make any sense man um and i just want to talk about the actual music itself so the overall vibe of this record is how do I put this I'm gonna say discouraged I read a review or something along the lines of that talking about this record where they kind of say it's the opposite of Kendrick Lamar's all right uh, it's pessimistic. It's it's not hopeful for the future. And you can hear it in Dean's voice, which sounds wearier than ever as he sings, talks, or raps, or whatever you want to call his very unique style of vocal delivery. Um, it's clear that this man is not confident about the way that the world is heading. I mean, can anyone blame him, really? And every now and then it, it kind of dissolves into some really kind of psychedelic passages that kind of warp with the sounds and the time of the songs that you're hearing and it can be disorienting, but overall, it's actually probably his most straightforward record. Uh, the songs go in a pretty um, 
easy to identify pattern where it'll be Dean doing a verse or two and then he has this uh, amazing guest vocalist who kind of she sings for the latter half of the song and it all comes together in the last song which is called The Rot and oh it, it that song really hits hard uh, it's a short record it's only about 25 minutes long or so so it's really worth listening from the beginning to the end because the payoff once you get to that last song is one of the best of the whole year and seeing Dean who is so traditionally against the grain and non-commercial making music this gorgeous and songs that actually like are catchy and have earworms to them while still maintaining his very unique genreless kind of boundaryless once again hoping that's fireworks um is really special and i'm confident in saying that it is my favorite dean blunt record that he's ever released and i think it'll be yours too so that's number one for this week dean blunt with black metal 2 damn i had i had a black metal 2 we had life of pierre 5 the franchises are starting to uh worm their way into ph5 it's always inevitable isn't it anyway thank you to everyone who tuned in this month who has tuned in all months has stayed with me through this i'm seriously considering adding a mid-month maybe like mini episode just to kind of keep the content rolling for everyone if you have any thoughts on this, please reach out and let me know. Otherwise, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Phil May. <laughs> this is Phil May with PH5.